Amazing how God always uh, connects things together. Uh, I think those who can go to Junior Church can follow DJ out the back corner doors that way. And, uh, you know, I like the variety of music that we get to have, uh, you know, being raised in the church. That'd be me, wouldn't it? Uh, you know, I like the old hymns. I like that some Sundays we have a guitar and a cone, and a, sometimes a full band, but sometimes a piano and the old hymns. Although I did mention to Greg that the first hymn this morning, I'm not sure if that's going to work. This first hymn this morning was uh, old enough. I don't think that's... I think I'll just... How's that? Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. I don't think I've sung that first hymn for about 40 or 45 years, so uh, that one does go back uh, a ways. About 16, 18 years ago, somewhere in there, uh, I took several kids from our youth group here to uh, the, the Free Church National Youth Conference. I think it was over somewhere near Indianapolis uh, that year. And uh, at the conference, of course, there's always these gifted speakers who are challenging the kids, very, very uh, fun and easy to listen to. And uh, these guys were really challenging uh, the kids in their greater commitment in their walk with Christ and growth. And, and the kids were, uh, these were mostly leadership kids in the youth group. They were eating it up, uh, very encouraged. We had great discussions uh, between the sessions, just one-on-one with some of the kids and in our small groups doing that. Uh, they were really challenged and growing. And, and as the week went on and I was experiencing that, um, of course, I myself was getting uh, more excited, more pumped up spiritually as well. In the de- general sessions, they always began uh, with an extended time of worship singing, which was being led by, a, a back then, a popular Christian band called Sonic Flood. And uh, they were one of the first contemporary Christian bands to uh, produce uh, and record songs specifically designed for corporate worship rather than just you know performance tracks and this type of thing. And uh, so it was really good. And uh, one time uh, during one of the sessions we were singing, I don't know how long they had been singing, but they went into one of their signature songs, which is called Better Is One Day. Uh, Hopefully some of you are familiar with that. Um, And uh, we started singing that. And I'm not exactly sure what happened, but, but some point during that song, I was just drawn into a worship experience that I'd really never had before. And I mean, nothing ecstatic or mystical happened, but I had this, this overwhelming, overpowering sense of, of the nearness of God, a very strong uh, relational connection with him that just is not there in normal, regular day-to-day life. And, and I know, I mean, I know intellectually, I know biblically, I know theologically that God is always with us. He is always near at hand. By faith, he lives right inside my heart. I, I know those things. Uh, but, but there are times that we experience his nearness, his presence in a, in a very special way. And that's what it was for me at that moment. And I've had uh, other times like that, uh, not always connected with uh, singing, but different things going on in my life. And I hopefully you have had something like that or times like that in your life as well. Normally we refer to that type of thing as a mountaintop experience or a, 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 a spiritual high. And this morning we're going to look at an episode in the Apostle Paul's life that was a, a spiritual high for him. But also we're going to look at something that is a reality 
for us in our Christian walk that oftentimes goes hand in hand. So open your Bibles, if you haven't already, to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10, but I'm just going to start uh, by reading the first six verses where Paul says this, Boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable. But I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a man was caught up to the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which man is not permitted to speak. On behalf of such a man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast except in regard to my weaknesses. For if I do wish to boast, I will not be foolish, for I will speak, be speaking the truth. But I refrain from this, so that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. Father God, again, we do thank you for just the opportunity this morning to worship in so many ways, in, in a fellowship together, in singing, in, in giving. Um, but God, we pray now as we come to your word that um, you would speak to us. I pray that uh, nothing I say, nothing I do would hinder the message that you would have for us today and that your spirit would be free to work in hearts and minds this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the context of this passage, as it has been over the past several weeks, we've been looking, uh, working our way through 2 Corinthians here, the Apostle Paul is in the middle of a defense of his apostolic credentials in the face of attacks that he has been receiving uh, from the uh, false teachers claiming to be false apostles there in Corinth. And uh, at the time that Paul lived, there was a, a widespread belief that uh, any apostle of Christ would be someone who has received or seen visions from God. Now, nowhere in Scripture uh, does it say that that would be true. Uh, nowhere is that given as some type of qualification for being an apostle or any type of leader in the church. It was just one of those things where um, it was just a wide-held belief with, with no real basis for it. And actually, it may have even come out of the pagan world at the time because it was very, very common and popular for any of the religious leaders of the pagan cults and, and mystery religions and these types of things uh, to claim uh, all these different visions and stuff, although they augmented their ability to have visions uh, with uh, drugs alcohol and hallucinogenic compounds so they they did that um, but uh, um, in the church it was uh, thought that uh, these leaders might have visions from the Lord and apparently these uh, these false apostles at Corinth had impressed the church with all of their supposed visions and that's why Paul then is in his defense is bringing this up at this time and this vision, he says, took place about 14 years earlier. And, you know, this is the only time in all of Scripture, in all of his writings, that he ever brings it up or even refers to it. And he makes it clear that he would rather not 
be doing that. that he'd rather not that he had to even take it this far. He says it's not profitable and foolish. We looked at that over the last few weeks. So not profitable and foolish to do these things. Look at verse 6. For if I do wish to boast, I will not be foolish, for I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain from this so that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. For him, he says, it won't be foolishness because this is the absolute truth. The clear implication, of course, being that the claims of the false apostles were not true. They had no basis in reality. And, and you know what? That's, that's really one of the, the big main problems with visions, right? They're unverifiable. Anybody can say anything that they want to say and claim it was a vision from God, and, and you're supposed to just believe them. Uh, there's no way to test it. Uh, you're just uh, supposed to take in whatever they say, unless, of course, it, it uh, contradicts or is way out of line from what Scripture teaches. If that's true, then you know right away that the vision has to be false. Um, I was given an account many years ago. I don't even remember who gave it to me anymore, but it was a book by some popular prosperity preacher of the time, and uh, he supposedly went to heaven, the same type of deal uh, as Paul here, he was saying, and, and uh, unlike uh, Paul, who didn't describe what he saw and couldn't repeat what was heard, this guy was giving all kinds of details about what he supposedly did up in heaven. And part of it was in one part of the account, Jesus was you know, giving him this tour of the place, and they came into this large, large warehouse building, so big, he said, that you, you looked down it and you couldn't see the end of the aisles in the row. It was, it was beyond the end of his vision. And in this warehouse was row upon row of, of shelving units, all these shelving units, and on the shelves were body parts. Uh, you know, spleens and eyes and, and fingers and feet. And, you know, all these body parts were, were all on all the shelves. And he asked Jesus, what's going on here? And, and then at that point, Jesus got all sad and said, well, these are healthy, good body parts that are waiting for the people who need them down on earth. But their faith is weak. They don't have enough faith to claim their new body parts. It's ridiculous, right? It's absolutely stupid. As if the God of the universe who spoke into nothing and brought all things into being would need a warehouse to hold body parts in order to bring a healing to somebody. It's nuts. And yet hundreds of thousands of people bought this guy's book. Unlike today, we got people who want to go on the Christian talk shows or circuit or write best-selling books about their alleged experience. Paul said he refrained. He refrained from even talking about this. He preferred to stick with those things that people could actually see and verify in him. That's what verse 6 was saying there. He knew that an unverifiable account like this really is useless for anyone except for the person who experienced it. So in the 14 years since this had happened, he didn't bother telling anyone. He, he refrained. He, he didn't do it. He realized it wasn't profitable for the church. If it had been profitable, he would have been telling them all about it. But he did not. 
There's no benefit. Because everything God wants us to know about heaven, he will reveal to us in Scripture, in the Bible. And the rest of the details of heaven, we're going to have to wait to find out when we get there. And, and this has actually been the way it has been since the beginning. Back in, in the Old Testament, in the book of Deuteronomy, we read, the secret things belong to the Lord. There's, there's going to be certain things that God holds that he's just not going to share with us, that he's not going to tell us, right? The secret things belong with the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us. Those things that he has given in Scripture belong to us and our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of the law. Paul, he spoke of this event, and when he did, he, again, just in another sign that he really didn't want to do it, and as a, a, a common form of humility in those days, he spoke of it in the third person. I know a man, he says, right? And he talks about this man. But as you read through, and especially as we look into verse 7 and beyond, it becomes clear that he is, in fact, that man. And this experience uh, of his, uh, all he knew about it, all he could say for sure about it, was that he was unsure how it even happened. He says, I, I don't know whether... Uh, God took my whole body and just took me up to heaven or whether he just gave me a vision spiritually. He says, I don't know uh, how that happened. And he says he heard unexpressible words which could not be repeated. He says, which man cannot repeat, not just him. Man cannot repeat it. So, you know, you got some guy telling you about visions up in heaven and he's repeating what's hearing in heaven. I'm, uh, heaven I, I got some questions about that. Um, it doesn't seem to fit scripture. And he says it was up in the third heaven. Now, again, I don't want that to throw anybody off as if, well, third heaven? No, different heavens? I, I didn't know there was all this stuff. I don't want it to be confusing. It's, it's actually quite clear. The Bible speaks of uh, three different heavens. It uses heaven in the three different ways. Uh, and, and the first way is, is um, what we would call the atmosphere, right? Uh, the... Uh, the place where clouds float and birds fly and, and wind blows. An uh, example of that would be Deuteronomy 11.11, 11, where it says, But the land into which you are about to cross to possess it, a land of hills and valleys, drinks water from the rains of heaven. And, and we know the rains come from the clouds in, in, in the atmosphere. So it uses the word heaven in the first sense uh, of speaking of that. But then the second sense uh, of heaven is what we would call outer space or maybe more technically interstellar space, uh, interplanetary space, all this type of stuff. It's, it's the place of planets and stars and nebulas and the place you boldly go where no man goes before, that kind of thing. Um, uh, Psalm 8.3 uh, says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained. So it's obviously speaking of that outer space thing. So now we've got two different heavens. Well, the third heaven, the one where Paul said he visited, is the place that is known as the abode of God, the place where God lives. He dwells. Um, Solomon offered a prayer in 1 Kings and said this, Listen to the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray towards this place. Hear in heaven your dwelling place. Hear and forgive. And, and the Bible gives us a, a few details about this place, about where God dwells, you know, the throne of God being there, the angels surrounding the throne and, and ministering to him and doing his bidding. And, and, and there's a few other details as you, as you read through scriptures on that. But there's a lot that we don't know about heaven. And that's why, of course, you know, charlatans can, can write their books about alleged visits there and, and, um, and sell them to lots of people. Paul 
He doesn't offer any sensational details. But you can tell that this was a very, a very personal, very intense, very uh, incredible, spiritually high ex- point for him, a spiritually high experience in his life. It's the type of thing where a person would like to boast about it, but he's chosen not to. And I mean, you would like to boast about it because it is that encouraging, positive, uplift, that mountaintop type of experience for him. And, and God gave it to him because Paul needed it. Okay, Not anybody else because he didn't use it for the benefit of the church or anything. It is what Paul needed. Look at what he says, though, in verse 7, because when, when, when he had this experience, no doubt he never expected, never imagined that anything negative or hard or, or troublesome would come out of it, but it did. Verse 7, because of, okay, so now it's tying this back into the vision. Because of this vision, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me to keep me from exalting myself. So, you know, it seems kind of weird, but somehow in direct connection to Paul's vision, he was given this thorn in the flesh. Now, first thing I want to make sure you understand, this does not mean that every time you you have some positive, good uh, uh, spiritual experience, uh, you know, the spiritual high, spiritual mountaintop experience, doesn't mean something bad is going to happen. Okay, that, that's not what this is teaching at all. Paul's uh, experience was quantitatively different uh, than ours as, as he was given this revelation and, and this type of thing. But the reality uh, is there for us as well. Just as we too can have those intense moments of spiritual mountaintop experiences and highs, we can also experience thorns as well. I don't know what you picture when you hear the word thorn. But whatever it is you picture, it's probably not bad enough to capture the impact of this particular verse. I mean, I'm thinking probably for most of us, when we think of the word thorn, we think of, you know, something like on a rose bush. You know, I love, uh, I love having roses. Many of you may, may grow some in your gardens or around your house as well. And when you're working with roses, they got thorns and they're sharp. And sometimes they prick your fingers and they draw blood and they hurt and they, they sting. And I don't like that, okay? That's not what is probably meant in this verse because uh, as this word is translated elsewhere and, and is used, it is very different. In fact, the Romans, in, in one of their cruel type of punishments of justice, they would take criminals, and, and, and with the criminal, they would impale them on these large wooden stakes that drive through their body. That's the word that's used in this verse. We're, we're not talking about a sliver that you know might be a minor irritant or some annoying inconvenience. This is an incredibly painful rod that is driven through your body. And people, they've speculated for ages about what that thorn might have been for the Apostle Paul. And most tend, lots of different arguments have been made, but most tend to think that it was, you know, some type of very painful physical uh, affliction or ailment of some type um, 
something maybe like epilepsy or migraine headaches caused uh, from eye problems or uh, malaria, uh, these types of things. And, and the truth is, we have no idea because he doesn't specify anything. And, and so it's really kind of useless for us to even venture guesses of what it might be. Um, I, I think God was rather smart in leaving an unknown. I mean, not that he was looking for my approval or anything, but, but you know, I think it was a good idea because, you know, what we as humans tend to do? We compare. So if we'd have known exactly what it was that the Apostle Paul was suffering through, what this painful thing was, we would be saying, well, yeah, that's nothing compared to, compared to what I'm having to face and endure and go through. Uh, no wonder he was able to handle it. But if he had to face with mine, I mean, this stuff doesn't apply to me, obviously, because mine's so much worse. We, we, we would tend to do something like that. So God purposely left it vague because it covers all thorns. And remember, thorn, stake, incredibly painful um, experience. Hard, hard, hard thing to endure. So hard that the Apostle Paul thought the only way to properly deal with it was for God to get rid of it. Right? Check out verse 8. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. Lord, take it away. I mean, this is, this is the only way uh, this can be done. There, there's no way that I can handle this situation, and so you have to remove it. If only this opposition would cease, if only the pain and agony of this thorn were taken away, if only uh, you would change the circumstances, then, then I would be able to, to fully minister. I'd, I'd really be able to be your servant and do the things you want me to do in, in that case. Uh, God, you, you have to take this away. It's hindering me in my life. And when it says that God implored uh, or that, that Paul implored God, I mean, it meant that he was pouring out his heart. This was not just a quickie prayer like, you know, thank you, God, for the meal, and please take this thorn away. Uh, this, was, this was intense prayer where he is just pouring out his heart. God, you need to remove this thing from me. If only, if only the stress and the pressure would be removed. Chances are, We've had some of those if-onlys in our lives as well, haven't we? Because we all experience thorn. If only I didn't have to work with that obnoxious person in the office. If only my husband would turn to Christ. If only my wife would be fully committed to God. If only... I had a stronger body. If only I had more resources. If only, I don't know what your if only is, but maybe you've prayed and prayed and prayed and you're wondering, why doesn't God answer my prayer? Doesn't he love me? Doesn't he care? Doesn't he see that I'm suffering here? And we're so convinced that the only adequate solution is for God to remove the problem, change the circumstances, get us out of the situation. We're so convinced that that's the way it has to be that we tell God what he needs to do. 
right? Just kind of like, kind of like Paul was doing here. I told him three times to get rid of the thorn. But is that really the best path for us to take? You know, as I'm looking at the rest of these verses, I, I think there are three lessons that we can learn about the thorn. I, I mean, I'm sure there's more than that, but three that I'm going to bring out. Number one, God permits thorns. I mean, that's, that's what the Apostle Paul was acknowledging when he said he, he prayed to God to remove it. God has the power over it. Therefore, if that's in your life, it's there because God permitted it. Nowhere will you ever find in the Bible some statement that says, Yay, you became a Christian. That means life is smooth sailing from here on out. It's not in the Bible anywhere. And those that would teach that the believer should never get sick, never suffer debilitating physical maladies, or that we won't suffer at the hands of evil people, have either never read the Bible or are purposely ignoring what it teaches about pain and suffering. You know, in Acts chapter 14, the Apostle Paul was going around, uh, traveling around, revisiting all these different churches that he had planted. And the purpose of revisiting them was to build them up, was to strengthen the believers, was to help them in their spiritual life, in their Christian walk, in their walk of faith, right? And and here's what it says about uh, how he went about doing that. It says, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying, here's his word of encouragement right here, and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Of God. Tribulations are the norm. We should expect those things. And because God is the one who permits the trials, the tribulations, the thorns, we also know that God is the one who limits them, He limits the extent of them. Many of you are probably familiar with the account of Job in the Old Testament, right? And, and just the condensed version of it was Satan wanted to attack Job and God permitted it. But God limited the extent of what Satan could do. Just like in Paul's case here where he said, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. And whatever the thorn was for him, It was allowed by God, but it was limited by God. And it was limited for a reason, which we'll get into in just a moment. But that first lesson we have to understand, God permits thorns. But the second lesson is this. God not only permits them, but he has a purpose in them. Look at how clearly that comes out in verse 7 when it says, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, this is it. Here's why, right exactly here. For this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment, to keep me from exalting myself. See, even a godly person, 
person like the Apostle Paul could have been, become tempted to become proud about what God had done in him and through him and shown him and to him, especially after some spectacular thing like this vision of heaven that he had had. And this is an acknowledgement that we're all far from perfect. God says that he has a plan and purpose, not just for the Apostle Paul, not just for individual thorns, but for each and every one of us, right? Uh, Romans 8.29 um, says that he has a plan for us, and it is the same plan for every single Christian, young or old, male or female, rich or poor, black or white, or somewhere in between. It's the same for all of us. And Romans 8.29 says that our, his purpose for us is to, that we would become conformed to the image of of his son. In simple language, he wants us to be like Jesus. And a thorn in your life is one of the tools that God uses to accomplish that goal. And you know what? For me, that's a comforting thought. Because God is doing something good even in the midst of a painful situation that I must live through. The thorn is there for my own spiritual good. And because God was using this particular uh, passage to teach us and as an example for us to follow, he allowed Paul to know exactly what the purpose was behind this thorn so that we could know, we could understand this truth, that there is a purpose behind the thorn. It was so he wouldn't become proud, so he wouldn't exalt himself. But we need to understand Knowing why is not necessarily promised to us. We may go through a very, very difficult time, a painful trial, without the benefit of knowing specifically why. But we can always know ultimately why. It's because God is making us more like Jesus Christ. Maybe, maybe in hindsight you'll get a good picture of a specific why. But that's not the purpose. Just understand that God is at work behind the throne, the thorns. For Paul, it said that this had been going on for 14 years, right? That's, that's the timeline that he gives us. I had the vision, and then, and then he said, for that reason, God gave him the thorn. And he prayed, prayed earnestly three times that it would disappear. But then apparently he stopped praying, right? Prayed three times, but that was it. Now, he didn't stop because he gave up in despair and said, oh, I guess things will never change. He didn't stop because he suddenly learned to like the thorn, okay? Nobody likes a stake driven into their body. He stopped because he discovered that God had a different plan than eliminating the thorn. God's plan was to use that thorn for Paul, for good in Paul's life. And so that brings us to the third lesson I think we can learn from the thorn. It comes from verse 9. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. 
for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Here's the third lesson. God's resource is enough. God's resource is enough for any thorn. My grace is sufficient, he says. He may not remove the thorn, but he will always give you sufficient power and grace and ability to endure and overcome. Many times, God doesn't eliminate the thorn because his purpose has not yet been accomplished in our lives. But that does not mean that he leaves you unprepared and unequipped to deal with that thorn. He gives you sufficient grace to meet the challenge. And, you know, we tend to think of grace as only that thing that we need in order to get saved. Oh, I was saved by grace, right? But the Bible teaches grace is much more than that. Grace is what we need for every day of living. Grace is God's power at work in our life. Grace is wisdom. Grace is endurance. Grace is strength. Grace is everything we need for successful Christian living. And His grace is sufficient for you. I wouldn't presume to know what thorn you might be dealing with. But I do know that all of us, sometimes or the other, will have thorns, stakes, driven into us that cause incredible pain and confusion. And Satan would like to take that time of confusion and pain and, and use it to sow discouragement and discord and discontent into our life. But God says, by His grace, we can have victory and joy even with the thorn. And that's why Paul was able to stop praying for God to remove it and then was able to go on and say, Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses. I don't know what your distress, your thorn might be today. With persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Thorn causes us to trust God, to be completely dependent upon Him because we are weak, right? A thorn proves, it shows that we are weak. We have no control over the situation. We have no power to change it. In fact, it is those people who, who think that they have some type of control or some type of power who end up getting frustrated and angry and... Um, and distraught uh, over the thorns because they can't control it. But we accept that we are weak. A thorn makes us realize that this is in God's hands, not ours. And God wants us to know that being in His hands is a very good place to be. Paul was able to move from a place of praying against the thorn to embracing it because he saw in the thorn God's grace and power at work in his life. How was Paul, this weak man who, as the apostles already, those false teachers already said, couldn't speak and was unimpressive looking and all this, 
How was he able to accomplish incredible things? It was because the power of God, not him. And God wants to do the same thing in your life. So we got spiritual highs and we have thorns. We have the glory and we have the pain. And both of them are part of the Christian life. And God gives them both for our good. This, did you notice in verse 7, it said that he gave, this, this thorn was given me? God is saying, here, here it is. Take this. It's from me. It's for your good. Your spiritual benefit. We get both. The glory and the pain. And we endure that now because we know God's doing something good in us while we look. As Bob Wands I read in the scripture this morning, while we look not at what is seen, but at what is unseen. Because what is seen is temporal, it's going away, but what is unseen is eternal. And that's what God is fitting us for. Let's pray. Father God, we don't like the thorns. But God, I pray we can get to a place where we can embrace and accept that you have purpose and a plan in them and that you are using it and working it for our good and our spiritual benefit just as you used it for Paul's spiritual benefit and that you would be glorified in that God we thank you so much for those times of spiritual high where where that nearness and that closeness just overwhelms us and we have those good and positive things going on but God in faith we also thank you for the thorns because we believe in your purpose in them. We pray this in Jesus' name.